Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 461, Integration of Psychology and Christianity. I hope you listen and enjoy. Hi, welcome to the Integration of Psychology and Christianity. I'm Dr. Justin Kelly. I'm going to be teaching you this class this semester. I'm very excited about this class. This is one of my favorite classes that I teach. I have been teaching at Bellhaven at the time of this recording for about one year, but I've done some adjunct work in previous years. Um, Prior to this, I was doing full-time clinical work, and so I've gotten to do integration of psychology and Christianity um, in real life and working with clients. And I'm very excited for us to be going over this today. So I wanna give a brief overview of the course Um, go over a couple of key points before we jump into unit one, uh, where we start talking about worldview and Christian worldview. The first thing are your books. Your first book is this book. It's called Christian Worldview, A Student's Guide. And it's just a very short book that talks about um, Christian worldview, um, just some of the major high points. Your next book and your main book that we'll use is this book called Integration of Psychology and Christianity by Hathaway and Yarhouse. And it uses what's called a domains-based approach to just a general um, integrative view. And then finally, you have this book by Eric Johnson. It's Psychology and Christianity. It goes over five views. Now, your cover may look different than this. It may be more of a white cover. They just change publishers, but the text is the same. If your cover looks like this, just make sure it is the, um, I believe, second edition. So, but the cover may look different. Uh, The class is going to consist of lectures, and it's really important that you watch the lectures because um, they're going to really help you on your quizzes. You'll have a quiz most weeks. There are two or three weeks that you don't, and I'll let you know when those are as the units come up. But make sure you're really paying attention to these lectures because they'll help you significantly with your quizzes. Each week we'll have a discussion board for you to complete. You'll also have three papers. You have two worldview papers and then one research paper. Your worldview papers will discuss things like the nature of God and the nature of man, and then the impact of sin, sanctification, and the role of scripture. And then your integration research paper is is going to allow you to research more fully some topic related to the integration of psychology and Christianity. And your professor teaching this can help you with that. Lastly, you'll have a final exam. Your final exam will be all essay. And I'm going to give you a study guide at the last unit um, that kind of gives you a little bit more detail about that. In addition, I'll give some helpful hints along the way about things to pay attention for for your final exam. Just know it is all essay. So with the course, the big things we're going to be doing is looking at the models of integration. We're going to look at worldview. How does worldview impact um, the integration of psychology and Christianity? What is a Christian worldview? What is the worldviews of science and of modern psychology? And helping you learn how to articulate these worldviews and articulate your own worldview in addition to helping you being able to determine what model of integration you tend to lean towards the most. So you're going to have class lectures, you have your reading, you have your homework, and you have discussion forums. 
and you're going to need to do all of these to find the best success in this class. A couple of things to note, online learning is not um, easier than traditional learning. This is actually often more difficult for students to do an online class because it's much more self-directed. You have to stay on top of things more. You have to set a schedule and you have to do things each week to, to stay ahead because if not, you get behind and things pile up and then your grades start to dip. Um, so you have to make sure that you can set a schedule. So to be most successful, that's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you're meeting your deadlines. Um, each unit starts on Monday and ends on Saturday. You need to learn how to manage your time well and get things done. You also need to be an active participant. You need to make sure that you are asking questions. You need to make sure you're contacting your professor, especially if you have any issues or any questions with the course material or an issue with the class itself. You need to make sure that you're just being a, a good student. Make sure you're staying up on your reading. Make sure you're watching the lectures. All of these things are going to help you succeed in this class. Now, I want to shift into Unit 1, talking about what is a worldview, talking about the nature of God and the nature of man in the image of God. So we're going to start by defining worldview and its importance, then we're going to start looking at that Christian worldview. So Riken, the author of your worldview book, defines, it as, defines worldview as the structure of understanding of what we use to make sense of our world. You can almost see it as a lens that we see the world through. This lens shapes how I see things. It transforms what I see and it transforms how I interpret what I see. It includes our values, it includes our basic beliefs, it includes our presuppositions. Riken says it's a fundamental orientation of the heart that shapes how we see the world. So Immanuel Kant was one of the first people to develop this concept of worldview with his term Weltanschauung. And he used it to describe a person's sensory experiences. Soren Kierkegaard was one of the first philosophers to come alongside and push that meaning of worldview beyond the sensory experiences and more into how we, can, we tend to conceptualize worldview today. So what shapes a worldview? Well, the first thing is some people say they believe one thing, but then they live a different way. This is what we call our functional versus theoretical worldview. Our theoretical worldview is what we say is our worldview. It's what we say we believe, but our functional is what we actually live out. Now, circumstances can change or solidify our worldview. It can be something that slowly happens over time, or it could be some major life event. It could be a good event, like a wedding. It could be a major life crisis, like a natural disaster. In addition, the historical situation that we, that we are in shapes our worldview. But it's important to remember that what we love and think or believe shapes our worldview. Now, worldviews are typically seen as inherently religious. In fact, most people categorize them by religious beliefs, even if it is non-religious, like an atheistic or agnostic worldview. <clears throat> it's still centered on religion and the belief or the disbelief or the inability to know um, if God exists still very much focused on religion. And so some people criticize the concept of worldview and emphasis on it because one, it's sometimes it's inadequate. It's not fully considered. The thing is, is 
Mm. This points down at the bottom of the slide. Everyone has a worldview, but not everyone can articulate their worldview. However, it's not too complex for people. Most people, however, can't. And so when they can't articulate it, the result is they basically live the same as non-Christians. And so because it's inadequate, it's not really considered, that's a criticism. Um, and in addition, it can be heavily influenced by historical events and culture. In addition, Christians can hold different worldviews, or they use the correct worldview for the wrong purposes. And finally, it can reduce humanity to disembodied thinkers. However, that's not a reason to abandon the concept of worldview or to not study it. But we have to understand that it's important that we fully consider it, that we take these criticisms into consideration when we are um, considering what our worldview is. Now, as we begin to talk about worldview, we need to start with, find our starting point. So here, our starting point is always God. When we talk about a Christian worldview, everything has to be in reference to the nature of God. So this list on this slide is not um, exhaustive by any means. Um, we would need thousands of slides to even scratch the surface of beginning to describe God. Um, but what we do know, and some of the most important ones that we'll talk about today, is that God is triune, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is one. There's only, there's only one God. It's not three gods. That God's infinite. We have our three omnis, the omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. He's good and that he's the creator of everything. So the first thing we'll talk about is that God is triune, that God exists in three persons. We know that God the Father is God and is not the Son or the Holy Spirit, that God the Son is God and is not the Father or the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is God and not the Father or the Son. We know that God exists God exists in three persons, and yet he's one God. And this is the concept of the Trinity. And we can see a lot of different instances in Scripture of where each person of the Trinity is referenced as God. But we see Jesus referring to God the Father as God in Matthew 6, when he talks about how your heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air. And God clothed, and then later in um, verse 30, he says, God clothes the grass of the field. We see how Jesus is referenced as God in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, especially verse 6, which says, who though who is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here, that form is not just talking about appearance, but it's talking about a substance that exists, um, not just the superficial appearance. And we'll also say in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here the Word is Jesus. And finally, we see the Holy Spirit being referred to as God. Um, and you see some Trinitarian language here, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We also know that God is infinite. We know that his, his infinity is everywhere, meaning he's omnipresent. God is everywhere, including in time. We know that he's infinite in his omniscience. God is all-knowing. We know he's infinite in his um, power. He means he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Because God is infinite, 
He's available to us at all times. It's why God can hear your prayer and he can hear my prayer at the same time and why he can hear everyone's prayer all at once and attend each of us individually because he's infinite, because he's everywhere, all the time, in time, and he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. And because of his um, infinite power, presence, and knowledge, we can know that he's good because he's he is everywhere and in all time. So we can trust that God is good because his knowledge and power are perfect. And therefore, his plans are perfect. Acts 17 tells us that, um, 17, 24 to 27 tells us that he is involved in even the smallest of details. Um, says the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And so we can see how God's involved in even the smallest of details. We know that God created everything through his spoken word. When he spoke, it it came into, exist, into existence. We know that God is not his creation. He's distinct from that. That's pantheism, which states that God is creation. We also know that there is God. Materialism, all opposite ends, says that all that is relevant are things that are observable or measurable. So we have to know that God created everything, and all things were created for Jesus. You can see that passage in First Corinthians, I mean, in Colossians 1, 16 through 17. Now, this is not in your book, but it's, I think, very important for us understanding the nature of man. And that's talking about the image of God. Now, the Bible talks about how we were created in the image of God. And there are three main views that have traditionally been used to discuss the image of God. One is the functional view. This focuses on our functions here on earth, to have dominion over the earth, um, to, to do the things that we're called to do here on earth. The structural view refers to our abilities to be rational thinking beings, our ability to reason. And the relational view refers to our ability to have a relationship with God. And many people use all three views simultaneously. You'll see a lot of people using all three views of the image of God within a lot of integrated Christian writing. But this is important because if God created us in his image and God is relational, then we reflect that image of God through our relationships with both God and with others. And this is essential for our Christian worldview because you have to think what impact, if this is true, what impact does the nature of God and the creation theology have on psychology? Well, Creation makes science possible because God created everything in an orderly universe. And so science is no longer just the study of the world. It's the study of God's creation. We're exploring what God has made. And understanding science, understanding creation through science helps us know God more intimately because we are now learning about his creation. And so psychology's goal then is not just understanding man, but understanding how God created and formed man. So you can see the shift or the change 
when we start to see is everyone being created in the image of God and every everything being created by God. Now it's an exploration of God's creation. It's to learn more about God and it is to um, then begin seeing people as created in the image of God. That capacity to have a relationship with, with Christ. And so then the implication is that there's no separation between the secular and the sacred. All truth is God's truth. And Christians need to be engaged in exploring every sphere of life, every element of creation, every element of mankind we need to be exploring. Because all of creation is from God, and it's our job to explore them. And it's important to recognize that because we're fallen and because we're sinful, we can be wrong about things. So as we approach science, as we approach these things, we have to make sure that we're approaching it in a spirit of humility. So the implications for psychology is, one, it impacts how we glorify God. We have to make sure that we're glorifying God with our worship, our bodies, our relationships, our work, and our rest. So for integration, we may find that conflicts come up. We may see that a conflict seems to appear between Scripture and science. And when that happens, we have to hold Scripture to the highest standard. We have to also make sure that how we understand Scripture is accurate. However, we do not avoid tension, but use it as a time of humility to make sure we're honoring God at all stages of the research process. And so as we are looking at these things, we have to recognize that we may come across some tension, but it's not a reason to be concerned or even afraid because God is good and God is, and his truth is good. And we're seeking to understand God's truth more. We just have to make sure that we're holding scripture in the highest authority. And we have to make sure that we understand scripture properly. And so not everyone agrees on the role of scripture. Um, some people feel that scripture is provides the psychology we need for understanding man, but others believe that scripture does not provide a full psychology and that we're meant to understand more through exploration, through tools such as science. So in this um, lesson, we have talked about the need to understand the nature of God and how he's the center of everything. He, God needs to be the center of our worldview and everything needs to point back to God. We talked about how God created the universe and everything in it and how we're created in, in his image to explore his creation and that through that exploration, we can learn more about God. It's important to note real quick that exploring creation is for understanding more generally about God but only scripture leads to understanding about salvation. So sometimes we may run across tension. Scripture always holds the highest authority, but we don't necessarily have to avoid that tension. But we do have to be humble in our attempts as we're prone to error at every stage of the integrative process. So what's next? The first thing you need to do is complete your reading assignments. Make sure you're reading. The biggest thing you can do for yourself to find success in this class is read the books and take good notes. Make sure you complete your discussion boards, complete your unit quiz, and start working on your worldview papers. 
you have two worldview papers. One is due um, next week. I'm talking about the topics from this unit. And so go ahead and start working on that. You can also be thinking about your research topic for your research papers. Again, make sure that you are staying in communication with your professor, stay actively engaged, and make sure you're participating in those, in those discussion boards. If you have any questions, contact your professor and make sure that you get those questions answered. Thanks.